0: Lord, we do love you. Lord, we're reminded that you first loved us, loved us enough to go to the cross for us, loved us enough to give your life for us, loved us enough, Lord, so that we do not have to experience the wrath of God because we are yours. Lord, we're grateful for who you are and what you've done in our lives. It's just amazing, Lord. Lord, there's not enough days in our lives to praise you, and we're glad that we have all eternity to do that. So go before us here this morning, Lord, as we glorify and honor you. And It is in your name we pray, amen. amen. Good morning. morning. Please be seated. Mike, can we get some lights in here? Thank you, sir. Wow. Just a quick announcement. Welcome, welcome to uh, Calvary Chapel Eye Valley. Thank you all for coming out. Just before, you know, I thought many of you would stay home because it's going to snow today, you know. You know, Christians don't go to church in the snow, they don't go to church in the rain. Many don't go to church when it's nice out. Don't get me wound up. But I'm grateful that you're here. Thank you. Welcome. Welcome those on Facebook and on live stream. Just a reminder at 1230 this afternoon, we're going to have our believers' meeting. And um, if you don't know what that is, go check it out on Facebook, check out our flyer. But we're going to get together. You're going to be able to discuss what goes on here, the message. We're going to be able to share something the Lord's put on your heart. We changed it to, we used to do this a while back, and it was, everybody loved it. We kind of got away from it. So if you can join us, it's at 12:30. Give you a little extra time to get something to eat, fellowship a little bit, and then we'll come back in here and we'll meet for that. If you are following us on Facebook and don't live in the area but you want to join, we're going to put it on Zoom. And so private message me after the service and I will send you the code to get on. Now, if you would open your Bibles to Revelation chapter 17. Now that you're comfortable, why don't you stand, and let's, it's just a couple of verses, let's read them together. Reminds me of my days in Catholic Church, where we sat and stood and knelt and sat and stood, and listen, it was a gym back then, it was like going to the gym. Revelation 17, beginning in verse 5, and on her forehead a name was written, Mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and the abominations of the earth. I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus, and when I saw her, I marveled with great amazement. But the angel said to me, why did you marvel? I will tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast that carries her, which has the seven heads and the ten horns. The beast that you saw was and is not, and will ascend out of the bottomless pit and go to perdition. And those who dwell on the earth will marvel, whose names are not written in the Lamb's book, in the book of life, from the foundation of the world. When they see the beast that was and is not and yet is. Please be seated. If you notice, we're kind of going a little slowly through Revelation 17. I want you to really understand what this end time religion may be. Um, Notice the mark on this harlot, on this woman. Her mark is where? On her forehead. What does that remind us of? The mark of the beast. But it also reminds us that we're sealed, right? The the 144,000 are also sealed on their foreheads. The Jewish people were told by God to observe this commandment. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. Deuteronomy chapter 6 verses 4 through 5. They were instructed to teach this to their children when they went out, when they came in. They were instructed to wear it on their forehead and on their hand so that when they made decisions, when they took action, they would do all things with the words of God in mind that God is their Lord, that he is one, that we are to love him with all our heart, with all our strength, with all our mind. And, And everything that we do, we are to do out of our love for the Lord. The harlot wants people of the world marked with the mark of her God, Satan. She wants to entice them and will entice them into a love of her God. Now, the religious system that John sees here is a mystery. And that word in Greek is mysterion. It's a mystery that has not been known in the past. It's a mystery that's not been previously revealed. You remember that the Old Testament conceals what the New Testament reveals. What was a mystery in the Old Testament becomes revealed to us in the New Testament. Paul, in his letter to the Ephesians, said that God had given him a mystery, had revealed the mystery to him. And that mystery was that the Gentile church... Would also inherit the kingdom of God. They would be heirs to the kingdom just as the Jewish believers were. In fact, that John sees this beast as the mother of all harlots tells us that this form of idol worship began long before John saw it. And it did, didn't it? We've learned over this study that it began in Babel. In Babylon, it went that far back. In the land of Shinar where their leader, Nimrod, who was for us a type of antichrist, began this. It's an ancient belief that man could reach heaven in their own strength. That's what the Tower of Babel was all about. We're going to fix God. We're going to show God. We're never going to subject ourselves to being flooded again. We're going to build a tower to reach heaven. We're going to reach God without anything else. We're going to do it on our own, in our own strength. It's a false belief that God, that Jesus, rather, is not the only way to heaven, that there are many ways, and that's being taught in churches, and it's being taught everywhere today, believe it or not, as shocking as that is. It's a belief that all religious systems, all belief systems, lead to the same God. And we know that it doesn't. It's an abomination, and this abomination that is growing with popularity began in Babel, began in Babylon. And it ends with a lukewarm church. A church that is ready to believe everything and anything that is sold because it has fallen away from the truth of God's word. We can't say that this end times church that Jesus talks about didn't come with a warning. It did. Remember the church in Laodicea? Jesus tells us that That church is the church of the last days. Revelation chapter 3, verses 17 to 20 says, Because you say, I am rich, but have become wealthy, and have need of nothing, and you do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire, that you may be rich, and white garments, that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed, And anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him, and he with me. Jesus warned this church. He warned us what the church would become in the last days. He warned us that this church system, this last days church system, would be corrupt. Remember, we are living in the days of that church. We are living in the days of Laodicea. We are, not us personally, the church of Laodicea. How many churches were in Revelation chapters three, uh, 2 and 3? Seven churches. Was there an eighth? No. The last church was Laodicea. We are living in the age of that last church system. There is no eighth church. And Jesus says that this church, the church of today would be miserable, blind, naked, poor. Does that sound like the church today? Maybe not from their perspective, many of them, but that's the church today. The church that Jesus said would exist in the last days would have this very spiritual condition. And then he warns them, you need to repent. You need to zealously repent of what you're doing This church, the church, this church age that we live in today does not have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And the way we know that is because Jesus says to this church, listen, I'm standing outside. I'm out there. I'm at the door. I'm knocking. Just let me in. Let me in. I want to come in and fellowship with you. I want to dine with you, which in that culture, in that language was the most intimate thing you can do. They sit down and have a meal with someone. And that's what Jesus is saying. I want to come in. I want to fellowship with you. I want to dine with you and you with me. I want to have a relationship with you. This church, this church age that we're living in right now has no relationship with Jesus. They have no fellowship with him. And we see that because many churches rely heavily on traditions and religious practices. But we know that this is not about tradition and religious practices, is it? It's all about a a relationship with Jesus Christ. And this church of today, the day that we live in, has no relationship with Jesus. And Jesus tells them. He tells them what their spiritual condition is in these last days. That they would be wretched. They would be miserable. They would be poor, blind, and naked. So let's look at each one of those. Let's look at the spiritual condition of the church today. Wretched. Paul wrote to the church in Rome, Oh, wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me from this body of death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Romans 7, verses 24 through 25. The church today believes they're blessed. Blessed for whatever reason. Big building, a lot of property, whatever reason they believe they're blessed. But Jesus says you're afflicted. And that's what the word uh, wretched means in Greek. It means afflicted. If the church today truly opened its eyes to what they've become... They would be able to see the truly wretched state that they're in. Jesus says they're miserable. Miserable means to be pitied. The church today is wealthy, it's proud, it's self-sufficient, it's self-centered, it's self-reliant. And again, if they knew the true condition of their spiritual condition, and they knew the true condition of their relationship with Jesus Christ, that they had no relationship, they would see just how weak and malnourished they really were. And they would then be pitied indeed, wouldn't they? Jesus says this church today is poor. Jesus says you're poor, you're destitute. Jesus doesn't measure wealth by the amount of money in our bank account. He doesn't measure wealth by the size of your building or or how many people are coming. He doesn't measure it that way, by your tithing. That's not how he measures it. He measures it by your spiritual condition, of your love, of your your... Love for others, your love for God. And, and in this church today, that bank account of love it has been, it's been depleted, hasn't it? There's an emptiness, there's an indifference, there's a self-centeredness, a self-reliance, a self-sufficiency in the church today. They don't love God with all their heart, with all their soul, with all their strength. That's been replaced with self. And that leaves the church in a poor and desolate condition because they don't they're lacking that love for God and that lack of and their love for one another. They're blind. The church today can't see the spiritual lethargy that they're in. They can't see their own heart condition. They're blind to their spiritual condition. You know when Paul was on the road to Damascus, he was struck blind by the light of the glory of Jesus Christ. And when the scales fell off Paul's eyes rather, Paul saw saw his condition probably for the very first time in his life. He saw that he had been blind and miserable and poor. Paul was able to see that once those scales fell off his eyes, and Jesus wants the same thing for the church today. He wants the scales to fall off the eyes of the church today so that they can see the true spiritual condition that they're in. You know, Jesus doesn't want our sacrifice he wants our broken and contrite hearts. And so the church today must recognize and acknowledge just how wretched, how pure, how how poor rather, how blind and how naked we really are. And then that brings us to the last one, naked. Jesus exposes the church today for who they truly are. Although the people in the church see, see themselves as blessed because they're a wealthy church, maybe, because they have all their need, all they need. But Jesus exposes them for who they are. They're indifferent to their own spiritual weakness. They, they believe everything's going great. Their bank accounts are full, but their hearts are empty. You know, in the garden, when Adam and Eve, before they sinned, they were walking around the garden naked all day long, weren't they? They didn't see that. They didn't see that. They didn't know they were naked until they rebelled against God, and then, it's then that their nakedness was revealed to them. The church today tries to hide that nakedness from God by clothing themselves in the things of the world. The church is in sin, sin of indifference, sin of self-sufficiency, self-centeredness, and self-reliance. And they have no idea that they are naked before God. But one day, that sin is going to be revealed to them. And for the church today, we need to pray that it's not too late for them. Unless they repent and turn to Jesus, it may be too late for them. Jesus says, I counsel you. Buy from me gold refined in fire that you may be rich and white garments that you may be clothed that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed and anoint your eyes with the eye salve that you may see. This is a message. Jesus is reaching out to the church today and he's saying repent, repent so that the things that you're doing may be refined with the refiner's fire. So that all that dross, all the ways of the world that you're allowing into the church, can be brought to the surface and skimmed off. So that when people look at the church, they can see, it is so pure at that point, they can see Christ in the church. And what Jesus is saying, in effect, is that people today can't see Christ in the church. And once they've shed the ways of the world and they'll be clothed in the righteousness of Christ, they will be pure and righteous in the eyes of God. The scales will fall from their eyes and they'll be able to see maybe for the first time just how far they've really drifted away from the truth. It's not too late for the church of today to repent and turn to Jesus. But if they continue along the path that they're on... It's only going to lead to more corruption, and that corruption is only going to continue to grow. This church system that John sees is drunk, he says, with the fornication and the adultery that she, through this false religious system, has committed with all the nations of the world, leading the nations of the earth to practice these false religions. She's dressed in purple and scarlet. That's very attractive colors in those days. Remember, it indicated wealth, attractiveness, alluring. So the world is enticed, is attracted to follow this world religion, which may be a religion that includes everything. All faiths lead to Jesus. All paths lead to God, and Jesus isn't the only way. This church system, this conglomeration of false religions, as I think they just all come together under one banner, is the bride of Satan. The true church is called what? The bride of Christ, and we're waiting for our groom to return. This church system is the bride of Satan. This marriage was formed, it was began, they were betrothed in Babel, in Babylon, and it has spread throughout the ages to today. Jesus told two parables that showed what the church in the future would be like. And they're both found in Luke chapter 13. The first one was the parable of the mustard seed. Then he said, what is the kingdom of God like? And to what shall I compare it? It is like a mustard seed, which a man took and put in his garden, and it grew and became a large tree. And the birds of the air nested in its branches, Luke chapter 13, verses 18 through 19. A mustard seed tree is an abomination. It's experienced unnatural growth. A mustard plant grows only to about three and a half, four foot high. It's more of a bush than it is a tree. This parable represents the church. Jesus is saying that the church would one day experience unnatural growth, not as Jesus intended it. And we've seen that in the church today, haven't we? Churches have grown for many different reasons. They ordain women and homosexuals as priests and pastors. They preach that all faiths lead to God. They tell stories from life and from movies and books rather than open up a Bible. They don't talk about sin. They don't talk about the need for repentance. They teach that you can have your best life now. That if you just have enough faith, if you just believe enough, God will give you whatever you desire. They perform same sex marriages. They preach a gospel that is against the gospel that Jesus Christ gave his life for, it's a social gospel. It's a name and claim. it gospel. It's a faith, all faiths serve the same God gospel. It's a Jesus is not the only way gospel. Is that the gospel that's taught in the Bible? These types of churches have grown because people want them to teach these things. They want their ears tickled. And that's exactly what Paul warned Timothy would happen in the last days. The time has come when they will not tolerate sound doctrine. But wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance with their own desires. And they will turn their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 3 and 4. Listen, listen. We're seeing the great apostasy happen right before our very eyes. There's a falling away. There's a, a, a turning away from the truth right happening right before our eyes. When 51% of self-proclaiming Christians say that Jesus is not the only way. That's a falling away. They've already fallen away from the truth. Listen to what else Paul said. No one is to deceive you in any way, for it will not come unless the apostasy, the falling away, comes first. And the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself above every so-called god or object of worship, so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 3-4. through 4. So the man of lawlessness, the Antichrist, the other than Christ, the make-believe, the pretend Christ, can't come until the restrainer is removed. And you know what restrains him now? So that he will be revealed in his time? For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is removed. Then that lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord will eliminate with the breath of his mouth and bring to an end by the appearance of his coming. Second Thessalonians chapter 2 verses 6 through 8. So the Antichrist cannot be revealed until the restrainer is removed. The restrainer is who? The Holy Spirit. Where does the Holy Spirit live? Inside our hearts. So do you get this? The Antichrist cannot... We're not waiting for the Antichrist, by the way. We're not looking for the Antichrist. We're looking for Jesus Christ. Because the Antichrist can't come until those who have the Holy Spirit are removed. Until we're raptured out of here. Then he shows his ugly face. The restrainer is moved. And what's being restrained is the judgment of God against this Christ-rejecting world. And God's not going to bring that judgment upon this world until he takes his children, his ambassadors, out of this world. Amen? Amen. He's not going to do that until the Bible-believing, Bible-teaching, Bible-practicing believers in Jesus Christ are removed. And then the falling away will be complete, because the only people left after that will be the make-believers and the believers of the false religions. That's all that will be left behind. Thank God for them, thank God for whoever's left behind, that you still have time seven years of pure hell, but you still have time to come to Christ. God in his mercy extends that even in the tribulation. There's tribulation saints. There's those who come to know Jesus Christ even in the tribulation. God wishes that no one would perish, not one. Jesus said that the birds of the air have nested in this tree, which is what? The tree represents the church. And in previous parables, the birds represent agents of Satan. And what Jesus is saying is that Satan, evil, has infiltrated the church. That should come as no shock to any of us. And Jesus illustrates that in the very next parable, the parable of the leaven. And again he said, to what shall I liken the kingdom of God? It is like leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal till it was all leavened. Luke 13, 20-21. Now when you first read that... It doesn't seem like much, does it? Until you realize that three measures of leaven is a lot of leaven. Jesus is saying the kingdom of God is like this. The kingdom of God on earth is is the church community. It's the kingdom community of God, the church as a whole. But more importantly, the kingdom of God resides in each one of us when we come to know Jesus as our Lord and Savior. We become his temple. Leaven in the Bible represents what? Sin. This woman, and it's interesting that Jesus says it's a woman because it's the woman harlot, right? The harlot of Babylon, hides three measures of leaven. That's an unusual, unnatural amount of meal. It was much more than any normal woman would prepare for a normal meal. And again, it suggests the idea of unnatural. It's an unnatural size, an unnatural growth. One commentator wrote, three measures of meal would be about 40 liters, which would make enough bread or a, for a meal for 100 people, would be a remarkable baking for one woman. Now, unless she's a baker who has a bakery on the corner, no, no woman is making enough meal, enough bread for 100 people. Not in that day. So this is an abnormal growth. Again, this sin which is hidden in the church is going to continue to grow, Jesus says. But Jesus said that the gates of hell would not prevail against his church, against the true church of Christ. And to prove that point, to prove just that one point, listen, you imagine having Jesus as your teacher? He'll take you on a 30-mile hike just to show you, just to teach you something, just to prove a point to you. He took took the disciples on a 30-mile hike from from the Sea of Galilee to Caesarea Philippi. And those those who have been able to stand in that spot, we drove that. We, weren't, we didn't walk it. We took it on a bus. And it was a long drive in a bus. But this is recorded in Matthew 16, when Jesus asks his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they give them a whole list of things that people say. And then Jesus says, well, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus says, you're speaking the truth. And on that truth I will build my church on that rock, that rock of truth. I will build my church. Jesus didn't say he would build his church on Peter the first pope. Sorry for my Catholic friends, that's not what Jesus meant. That's just Satan adding some more leaven to the church. Jesus said that on this rock, on this truth, that I am the Messiah, that I am the only way, on this truth, on this rock, I will build my true church. And the, and the hammer in that point to them, he points to a cave. As he's standing in Caesarea Philippi. Now, what you see on the screen right now is an artist's rendition of the temple to the goat god Pan. Today, that's all in ruins. What you do see today is that cave. And we've seen it. So as Jesus is standing there, and it's a beautiful spot, he points to that temple, to that cave, which was still in existence at that time. And he says, My the gates of hell will not prevail against my church. In that cave, they believed that cave was the gate of hell. They sacrificed people in that cave. And they believed that that cave was a gate right to hell. And so it was there that they worshiped the god, the goat god Pan, who in reality is Satan. The church. The one true church, true church, not the church of Laodicea, not the church that proclaims there's many ways to heaven, not the church that proclaims that Jesus is not the only way, but the church that stands firm on the word of God, the church that does not deny the name of Jesus, that church, the gates of hell will not prevail against. The other churches, the false religions, they've opened their doors wide. They've opened the gate wide. They've invited the enemy in. Come on in. Make yourself comfortable. We welcome you. This woman, this harlot that sits on the beast is the last day's religion. It's a religious system. And she has spread her leaven in such great measure throughout the world that the church, even now, even before this system's in place, has already begun to be corrupted. And the sin that this church has been allowed to the sin that this church has allowed has caused it to grow unnaturally, unchecked, until one day it will become this worldwide religious system, and one day they will, they will claim allegiance to the Antichrist. Many of them will take the mark of the beast. You know, before Jesus was crucified, he stood before Pilate. And Pilate, not wanting to crucify Jesus, gave the people a choice. Remember the choice? The choice was Barabbas. Or Jesus. Barabbas was a murderer. Barabbas was an insurrectionist. Jesus was nothing but love and peace. Barabbas represented all that is evil in this world. Jesus represents all that is good, all that is love, all that is light, all that is peace, all that is grace. Because he is all of those things. But they chose Barabbas instead. They chose the world. And the people living in this last days, the people living today, are choosing the world over Jesus Christ. They're choosing a world that's passing away and rejecting Jesus who offers us eternal life. How crazy is that? I pray that you choose Jesus. Because it's never too late to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. As long as you have breath in your lungs, you can choose Jesus who is the only way, the only truth, and the only life, no matter what someone might say to you. Now that you've seen how Satan has groomed his bride to serve him in the last days, remember all that Satan does is in opposition, not just opposition to Christ, it is offering the world another choice, a pseudo-Christ. He's offering him another choice. This world which he's the God of, or an eternity in heaven with Jesus Christ. That's, that's the choice. Actually, the choice Satan offers isn't a choice at all. You don't have to make a choice. You can well, you can choose if you want, a little from column A, a little from column B. You can make your own faith. You can have a little bit of Islam, you can have a little bit of Judaism, you can have a little bit of Christianity, you can have a little bit of anything you want. It's a Chinese menu. Maybe that'll be the last day's religion, just a big Chinese menu. I love Chinese food, by the way, so don't send me any nasty emails. You know, Jesus asked the question, will I find faith on the earth when I return? I believe Jesus will find faith, but it will be so corrupted, so leavened, that it won't be faith in him. It will be faith in a world system. That's the faith Jesus will find. Not faith in him, but faith in a world system. Faith in an Antichrist, in a leader, a one-world leader. Satan has a bride just as Jesus has a bride, just as we are Jesus' bride. Satan's bride is all those who choose this world system over Jesus. Jesus' bride is the true church, which has been betrothed to him and has been taken out or come out of this world. Jesus, we are, we are in the world, but we are not supposed to be what? Of the world. Jesus' bride is also called a mystery. We're clothed in white, indicating purity. The bride of Satan is clothed in the wardrobe of a harlot, purple and scarlet. The bride of Christ is washed by the word. The bride of Satan is drunk with fornication. The bride of Christ is covered by the blood of Christ and we become his saints. The bride of Satan is drunk with the blood of the saints. Jesus gave his life for his bride, the church, who follow him. Satan will cause those who follow him to become his bride and lose their lives. The bride of Christ will live for all eternity with our Lord in heaven. The bride of Satan will live in all eternity With their Lord in hell. Whose bride do you want to be? By that list I just read, the choice is simple, isn't it? And you still have time to choose. You still have time to choose. Jesus or the world. Whose bride do you want to be? I chose Jesus. And I pray you do too. Because I can tell you this from the bottom of my heart. You will never regret that choice. Look at verse 6. I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I marveled with great amazement. You know, one article that I read said that 70 million Christians have been martyred since Jesus walked the earth. Without a doubt, these Christians are Christians who believe that Jesus is the only way, the only truth, the only life. And they were willing to lose their lives for that belief. An article in Christianity Today says that every day, eight Christians worldwide are killed because of their faith. Every week, 182 churches or Christian buildings are attacked. And every month, 309 Christians are imprisoned unjustly. These Christians are killed for the, by their faith by a people who practice one of these faiths, one of these false religions. So their God Is okay with them killing their fellow human beings simply because they don't worship the same God they do. That's why we so adamantly proclaim that we do not worship the same God, that not all faiths lead to the same God. The God we worship is a triune God God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We call our God Father, Abba, because he loves us as a Father unconditionally. He loved us so much that he came to this earth in the flesh willing to die for us so that we could have life in him. These false religions do not have a personal relationship with their God because their God is not their father. Their God did not put on flesh. Their God did not walk this earth. He did not offer himself up for the sins of mankind so that they could be forgiven. Their God does not say that the only way to heaven is through Jesus God the Son. Their God's Their beliefs say that there's many other ways. Their God says that the quickest way to heaven is by martyring yourself. Not just yourself. Take some Christians with you. Their God called for the death of tens of thousands of people simply because they didn't believe what they believed. Our God offers forgiveness to all through the cross, even those who hate him, even those who reject him, even those who undermine him. As long as they have breath in their lungs, they can get forgiveness, they can have forgiveness, they can be saved. So we do not serve the same God. Their God or multiple gods have seen multitudes of followers of Jesus Christ martyr for their faith. So many, in fact, that this worldwide religious system has become drunk or intoxicated by their blood. The blood of so many believers has put this system in a stupor. And you know, it becomes easier to commit horrendous acts when you're in a drunken stupor, doesn't it? This world religious system has a murderous lust for the blood of true believers believers of Jesus Christ. And that blood will continue to be spilled by the thousands as evident by the tens of thousands of tribulation saints under the altar of Christ, the altar of God rather. Look at verse 7. But the angel said to me, why do you marvel? I will tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast that carries her, which has the seven heads and the ten horns. And so maybe that's why John is so amazed. Maybe that's why he marvels. Remember, he wrote the gospel, and he wrote his first letter to believers so that we would know the truth and walk in the light, that we would know the Jesus that he knew. And here's this so-called church system that should have fellowship with Jesus, being deceived and believing that Jesus is no longer the other way, the only way, that there are many ways. John would look at that in shock and amazement. He would look at just how corrupt this church today has become in shock. How the persecution never stopped but only grew. And that's shocking indeed. It must seem to John that the whole religious, the whole church, the church that Christ died for has been corrupted and, listen, Many of it has. I believe there's a remnant left of true believers of Jesus Christ. And he must, be remo- he must be wondering if this is the future of the church. Because what John sees is future, isn't it? It's a future world religious system. It doesn't exist yet. And try as we might to figure out what it may be or who it may be, we simply don't know. It is a mystery. It hasn't come into full view yet. And when it does, it might surprise all of us in the end. But John has shown the end of this religious system. He can be assured, he can rest assured that what he sees isn't going to last. What he sees is going to come to a quick end. Just like the psalmist in Psalm 73 who complained to God because the wicked seemed to prosper. And the righteous seemed to suffer. And it wasn't until the psalmist went into the sanctuary of God and God showed him the end of the wicked that he knew. He said, you cast them down to destruction. Oh, how they are brought to desolation in a moment. Psalm 73, verses 18 through 19. The wicked, the abomination of this religious, religious system will come to an end. It will be destroyed. It will not last. And that's good for us to remember, even in our own present environment that we live in today. And I know we want to see justice prevail. It's, it's ingrained in us. We want to see justice We want to see an end to babies being slaughtered, both inside and, and who knows, one day outside the womb. We want to see an end to that that horrific practice. We want to see an end to corruption. We want to see an end to abuse, to lying, to cheating. We want to see an end to unjust laws and rules. We all want that. We want to see an end to the wickedness in this world. But we have to remember that even though... It seems like the unjust are getting their way now. Even though these unjust decisions that are being made may affect the just and the righteous, we have to know that if they do not repent of their sin, if they do not turn to Jesus, just like any of us, they, their end is exactly like the end that the, that the uh, psalmist saw in, in Psalm 73. Their end is destruction. You see, you can escape the justice of this world, but you can never escape the justice of Jesus Christ. Everyone will be brought before him one day. So the angel shows John the mystery, and this mystery is the harlot, the beast which he rides. The beast that has seven heads and ten horns, and and the angel is going to show John or give him an explanation of what that is like. It's, It's a beast that John has seen before. He saw this beast in Revelation 13, and I stood on the sand of the sea, and I saw a beast rising up out of the sea having seven heads and ten horns. And on his horns ten crowns, and all his heads had a blasphemous name, Revelation 13.1. This beast, Lord willing, we're going to look at closer next week, so stay tuned. Exciting, isn't it? It's like watching a Netflix series. You've got to wait till next week for the next show. Look at verse 8, our last verse this morning. The beast that you saw was and is not, and will ascend out of the bottomless pit and go to perdition. And those who dwell on the earth will marvel whose names are not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world when they see the beast that was and is not and yet is. I love these easy verses. The beast that you saw who was and is not is the same beast that John saw coming out of the bottomless pit in Revelation 9. They had a king over them and the angel, the, the angel of the bottomless pit whose name in Hebrew is abandoned, and in Greek he has the name Apollyon. In Greek it's abandoned, in Hebrew rather it's abandoned, in Greek it's Apollyon, but both of those names mean destroyer. He's a destroyer. He comes to destroy, to seek, to kill, and destroy. John sees this beast ascending out of Revelation, out of the bottomless pit in Revelation 9. And we know from Scripture that this beast is Satan. Satan who only seeks to steal, kill, and destroy. And in the last days, he's going to seek to kill both Jew and Gentile alike. When the Antichrist, indwelt by Satan, comes on the scene, and as I've said a million times, it's not so much Antichrist, it's counterfeit Christ. He can't create. He only destroys. He can't love. His heart is filled with hate for God's people. His heart's even filled with hate for those who finally fall, fall down and take his mark and worship him. He hates everybody. He is an equal opportunity hater. He doesn't show mercy, only cruelty. He doesn't have the power to give life, only, only death. And he's going to fake his own death. It's going to appear as if he's mortally wounded, just as Jesus was mortally wounded on the cross. He appears then to come to life. And so the whole world, it causes the whole world to marvel at this so-called resurrection, and they're going to follow the beast because of what they saw. That's why John describes him as the beast who was, as he raises the political power in the beginning of the tribulation. And when he does, he's going to use this dog and pony show of a resurrection to get the world to worship him. And once that happens, he 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 no longer has any use for the false prophet in this false religious system. He's going to want the world to worship him. I mean, after all, he's God. He rose from the dead, just like Jesus did. He's going to get the world to believe this, to fall for it, to be deceived. Now, I could go on and on and on about the differences here. But listen, those who worship Jesus worship the King of kings and Lord of lords. Those who worship Satan worship the King of destruction and the Lord of darkness. And as I've said many, many times in the past, there is no There's no gray here. There's no sitting on the fence. There's no dividing line. You either worship Jesus or you worship Satan. There is no in-between. You can't be Sweden. You can't be neutral. You can't sit this one out. You are one or the other. There's no neutrality here. If you do not claim Jesus as Lord and Savior, then you claim Satan as your Lord. Those who dwell on the earth marvel at this beast who is then dead, appeared to be dead, but is now alive. He was and now he is. And they'll worship him. They'll take his mark. But at this point, I don't think there's any believers left or even make believers. I think at this point, anyone on the earth is already, they're just sold out for this guy. They're sold out for the Antichrist. They got his bumper stickers on the back of their car. They got his flags in the front of their house. They've got him every place. They're just sold out for this guy, whoever he is. They're not going to see the evil that he represents. They're only going to see Him as good. They're only going to see Him as a Savior. Because by this time in the world, evil isn't just called good. In their minds, evil is good. Their minds have become completely seared. They're completely deceived. And good isn't just called evil. Good to them is evil. Do you see how deceived the world is going to become? How corrupted it's going to become? Their names are not written in the Lamb's book of life. Meaning that God is known from the foundation of the world that these people in the end will choose, to give them, will choose for themselves the world and will, will, oh, will reject Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. They're the ones who would accept and choose Barabbas, not Jesus. They're the ones who cry out for the world, not the one who came to save the world, not the one who overcame the world. They cry out for the world and the system of the world. They rely on this world system to save them, on this Savior, this Antichrist, instead of the one who truly came to save the world from sin, Jesus Christ. Now you can be part of this chosen church. You can be part of the Bride of Christ. And you can be part of that right now. You don't have to wait until the end to make a horrible choice. And believe me, you're better to make that choice now when the pressure The immense pressure, the immense deception and corruption is bearing down on you. Make that choice now. Don't wait. And to choose that, to to denounce Satan and denounce the things of this world and choose Christ is as easy as ABC. A, admit that you're a sinner, that you've fallen short from the glory of God. The Bible tells us that. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. For there are none righteous, no, not one. You may think you're a good person, and you may be a good person. But based on those two verses I just read to you, none of us could ever be good enough. Not in the eyes of God. We need a Savior. You know, reading the the book, The Grapes of Wrath. Anybody ever read that book? And then I did this foolish thing. I watched the movie. I'm not done with the book, so now I know how how the book ends. But I'll continue to read the book. Anyway... For all those who have read it or not read it, I'm going to, here's a spoiler alert for you. The family that starts out from Oklahoma together winds up separating. Some of them die. Some of them just go, you know, they get in trouble and they leave or they leave for whatever reason. So the family's not as big in the end as it was in the beginning. They get separated. And then I, I, we watched the movie Friday night. We had a men's night, a movie night. And I'm not saying this so that you guys never come to another men's movie night. It was called The Christmas Truce, and the more I thought about it, it had Hallmark written all over it. Thank God there was enough action, military action, it was filmed like a World War II, so there was Germans and Americans, there was enough of that to keep the guys interested, but it was one of those where the girl gets her guy in the end kind of movie. And the movie was everybody is reunited at the end, everybody has a happy ending, again a spoiler alert if you never watched the movie. But on the way home, I'm thinking to myself, Lord, why can't it be like that all the time? Why can't life just be a Hallmark movie? Why can't it always be a reuniting and a happy ending for everybody? And where is a life like that? It reminded me that does exist. It does exist. It's heaven. It's called heaven, where one of the greatest reunions ever known to mankind will happen. We'll be reunited with all of those who we've lost in heaven. And it will be a happy, everlasting, all eternity ending for everybody. How amazing is that? And there's only one way to participate in that, and that is to know Jesus Christ. To put your faith and hope and trust in Him. The Bible says it is by grace that we're saved. Through our faith, through putting our trust in Him. It not, has nothing to do with our good works. It's a gift from God. Because if we could do this on our own, if we could work toward that, if we could work out our own salvation... Why would Jesus ever have to come and die on the cross? You could just be good enough, but we can't. Jesus came to die on the cross so that you and I could have eternal life, so that one day we could all experience the greatest reunion of all mankind and spend all eternity with him. But that means you have to believe, and that brings us to be, believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, that He died for our sins and that he rose again from the grave. And he's coming again in glory to judge the living and the dead. Paul wrote, for with the heart one believes of the righteousness. And with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. Romans 10 verses 10 to 11. You will never, ever, ever, ever regret giving your heart to Jesus Christ. And once you admit that you're a sinner, that you repent from that sin and you turn to Jesus, see... Call upon the name of the Lord. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Romans 10.9 Listen, there's nothing that you cannot be forgiven for. The only thing that we cannot be forgiven for is dying in our sin without accepting Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Without Jesus as Lord, we are actually enemies of God. We're in enmity with him. But Paul gives us some good news. He says, while we were yet sinners. And I want that to just settle in your head for a minute. Think of the world. Think of the sin in the world. Think of the past, present, and future sin in the world. Think of all of it. Jesus looked at us while we were still sinning. And said, I will step up. I will willingly go to the cross. And I will die for them. So that they can have eternal life so that those sins can be forgiven and washed clean. Much more than having been justified by His blood, we shall be saved, saved from the wrath of God to come. We're reconciled to God through the death of His Son. Much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. Romans 5, verses 8-10. When you come to Jesus Christ, you become an heir to the kingdom of God. You're rectified, you're reconciled, you're sanctified, justified, just as if you never did it, wash clean of all your sin, past, present, and future. And if that's what you desire, if that's truly what you want in your heart, then just fall down on your knees and ask Jesus to be your Lord and Savior. Call out to Christ today, and you will be saved. Please stand. Don't forget, at 1230, a little over an hour from now, we will have a believers meeting if you want to stick around you are welcome to do so. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for who you are, Lord, and we thank you for loving us so unconditionally. Go before us now. We ask it in your name, Lord Jesus, and please, Lord, all those who have to work in this snow today, all those who have to go out and shovel, all of those, Lord, will be out in this storm. We just pray for your protection upon them. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you guys.